to a rather strange episode of Fangirl Chat. I'm one of your hosts, Teresa Delgado, and with me is my co-host, as always, Trisha Barr. On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you feeling today, Trisha? Stranger things have happened, or maybe not. That's not where I was going with that. Maybe Richard from Skywalking Through Neverland will get it. On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you feeling, Richard? 11? Yeah! (laughs) I picked it up where you're going. Yeah, you picked it up what I was throwing down. You just had the the spinal tap into it, Trisha. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, with us, we have some other awesome people. We have Richard and Sarah from Skywalking Through Neverland. Sarah. Hey, hey, everyone. Good. And then we also have our good friend, Arish, from Pass the Cord, I guess, would be the best place. No, you have another podcast, but I don't remember the name of it. Mile High Tundra. There it is. Greetings and salutations. to talk everything Stranger Things. Trisha actually decided to do this, and when she threw down the challenge, I had to force myself to sit down and watch all of the episodes instead of running away from them scared like I was. So thanks, Trisha. You're welcome. You survived, right? <laughs> I'm alive still. It's not as bad as Poltergeist. That scared me when I was <laughs> a kid. Okay, well, I haven't watched yeah. that for very obvious reasons because I'm a weenie. so other than us totally peer pressuring teresa into doing it so i guess you're like barb now uh i'm dead you're in the upside down world how how did the upside down world of dead how did run away from the monsters run away don't go near the tree (laughs) because i got i watched it because Richard and Sarah said they were liking it so much. So that was kind of how I got into it. Arish, how about you? Well, I saw the trailer for it, uh, you know, back in late spring, early summer when they released the trailer. And immediately I was like, I have to watch the show. And then um, it took me a couple weeks after it premiered because it premiered like right before San Diego Comic-Con. And so I just didn't have a free weekend to uh to jump into it so once i got back i think it was like early august i it was like a rainy saturday here i'm like all right i'm gonna dive in and watch an episode or two and at that point steve glosson had already watched it and had been texting me about it and my nephews had seen it and they were texting me and i'm like if i don't watch it this weekend they're gonna spoil it for me um and so once I got into it, like, you know, I watched an episode or two and I just couldn't stop. I tore yeah. through the whole thing in an afternoon. Nice. Yeah. And we, uh, Richard and I got into it because all of our Skywalkers were posting in our Facebook group. Have you guys seen Stranger Things? Have you guys seen Stranger? You're going to love Stranger Things. So we're like, oh, yeah, okay. not just like two or three people, no. but everybody. Yeah. yeah. Everybody in, in, the, in the random house offices was talking about it. Um, you know, you couldn't go on to sites like io9 without like seeing a post a day about it. It mm. just, it was kind of the thing that just like took over the summer. Yeah. 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 I'm well, out of nowhere me, too. For me, everybody had been asking me if I'd seen it and I'm like, it's kind of horror right? And everybody was, well, well, not that bad. And so I would ask them, okay, is it worse than The Walking Dead? And they would say, well, no, it's not gory, but... And I was like, okay, well, that's enough for me. This is I'm not watching whatever this is. And then you guys were talking about it, and I was like, oh. And so I initially started watching it, like, one episode at a time, like, taking, like, four breaks in between and watching My Little Pony. And then y'all scheduled the podcast, so I was like, okay, well, I'm actually off on Saturday, so I forced myself to watch it, and I was, like, hiding behind my pillow the whole time. So, oh. yeah, it was it was freaky for me, but that's just because I'm a weenie wuss. <laughs> it's kind of, to me, it was sort of, like, X-Files kind of level mm, yeah. of horror, like X-Files or, like, the the second alien movie aliens that 
there's a lot of influences from that in it. But I, I mean, look, I hate horror movies, and this didn't bother me at all. Me now, too. Now, for me, someone had posted the intro on our site on our Facebook group, and, and it has such an '80s feel to it with the synthesized <laughs> sound and the Dungeons and Dragons graphics with their font. I thought, what, wait a minute, is this set in the '80s? I am so in. <laughs> That's what hooked me—the fact that it was set in 1983. <laughs> Wait, how many people here were alive when this movie is set? Here was I was the age of these of the boys. Wow! In, in 1983, I was that same age. I was like a year older than these kids. I was two. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, was not. I was not. A I was one. Yeah, yeah I wasn't I was, even a thought. I was 13 in November of 1983. Wow. I was 14. Cool. Sarah was too. <laughs> and Trisha, you were around there too, right? Yeah, I was you just like... going into high school, so it was yeah. very, very relevant for for me. And just yeah, looking yeah. at all the cool stuff in the background. So, who here, Richard? You play Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons, and Arish, have you played Dungeons and Dragons? You know what? You know what? I'm gonna back up here. I have never ever played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, never. believe it or not, I'm with Richard. I've never <laughs> ever played it either. It, it it never really grabbed onto me. I it was something I never even wanted to do or thought to do or kind of thought in the back of my mind. Hey, maybe I'd like to do that. Never, ever, ever. Wow. Yeah, I don't know why it was had everything that I would love: the fantasy, the battles, the role playing, the storytelling. But nope. Just yeah, you're just too cool it. for D and D, aren't you? Uh, I, I agree. <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but yes. I agree with everything Richard just said. It just, for whatever reason, like all the geek stuff that I was into at 13 years old, like me and my little group of friends riding around on our bikes, just like the kids in the show, that was like the one thing we weren't into. There was, you know, it was comic books and like G.I. Joe and Star Wars and, you know, Atari was big. Um, things like that that we we were spending our time on and not Dungeons and Dragons. Now, Eris, do you think that maybe because of Atari and video games that it was such a, a quick fix that Dungeons and Dragons took a little bit too long? I think that was that for me. Well, I got to tell you, just like in watching the show, and I, I've seen the season twice now because I rewatched it this, mm. this weekend, but when you hear him talk about all the time he put into as a dungeon master, like all the hours he put into coming up with that campaign. Like, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, that's why I never played Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. It's just way too much work you know what? for that, a that's, game. Okay. That's, that's uh. where I am. We're space invaders. You put the quarter in, you shoot the aliens. <laughs> Four minutes later, you're walking away. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think I did. <laughs> thanks to, to Irish, uh, I just came to the conclusion as to why I never played Dungeons and Dragons. I never thought it was too cool. I just thought it was just took way too long. Yeah, it's like doing homework just to play a game. <laughs> so, Trisha, did you play D and D? I I did not, and, but I have a lot of friends who did, and I so so I felt like there were a lot of people talking about the D and D, and I have done the role playing game stuff, so I understood at least the basics of they were in this campaign at the opening they were rolling and they were uh trying to you know they were making a move that might not do well and when i went back and watched it the second time i realized how important that whole first scene is especially when they describe the monster that comes out that's Mm -hmm. the demogorgon and then will he you know they find the die and he says uh uh, you know, like, don't tell Mike that it was wasn't you know what it was a seven, and then Will fesses up and says, "It's a it was a seven And the door, what does he say? The Demogorgon got me. And then mm-hmm. after that, mm. and then the rest of the show, you're like, he essentially says that whole thing says what's going to happen in the whole show. Essentially, it's like crazy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I have actually played D and D. I think I'm the only one. Um, yeah, I think but... you are. But I've never played it. My husband and I really like tabletop games and stuff like that, but I we haven't played D and D together. I've played it with some of my other friends, but we've actually been talking about getting D and D. So that was kind of cool. But what was really interesting about this 
was when I was watching the first episode and I took my first break and I went to go watch My Little Pony. The episode I was watching was actually where they were playing My Little Pony version of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not planned at all. I had no idea what the episode was about and I just busted out laughing. That was My Little Pony telling you to get back to Stranger Things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so does every everybody have like a a pop culture moment that struck out to them like a favorite that came on the show because that was a, a kind of a gateway for a lot of people that you know really it got you got attached to what i'm really impressed with is that the fact they spent the money and got the rights to a lot of 80s songs you'll see a lot of television shows that just don't stretch that dollar so you'll hear a lot of songs that were influenced by the 80s but you can tell those are not 80s songs they're done today uh, by by today's bands to sound like they were recorded in the 80s and it's so obvious it wasn't so i'm so happy that all of these original 80s songs were in the show and that really put me right into the year of 1983 and then there was the scene where of course when the character of 11 she's flying the millennium falcon toy <laughs> that was awesome and i do believe uh this was also talked about somewhere somewhere else that it wasn't a, a, an event, a vintage Millennium Falcon. It was a 1995 Power of the Force Millennium Falcon. Yeah, yeah not, a lot, not a lot of people are, will point that out, but it's like one of those things that I always keep my eye out for. If you're gonna go vintage, go vintage. And I'm sure they could have gone to any <laughs> comic book shop and gotten a, a vintage Millennium Falcon to play with. But that did kind of stick out that it wasn't uh, the, the real the real deal. But for me, it was her playing with the Millennium Falcon, and then uh, the I think it was Dustin showing her the little Yoda doll. So, of course, all the Star Wars references. I was actually trying to think, because there obviously there were the Star Wars references, but I was trying to think if there was something outside of that. And I think the thing that sticks out to me, and it's not because of being born in the 80s, it's more of like my brother had stuff, and that I messed around with when I was, you know, four or five in early 90s, because I was born in 85, so that was after. Yeah, yeah, ha ha. <laughs> Whatever. But, like, the old school walkie-talkies, I know we had those, because my brother had those, and I remember that. But it was actually all the bike riding, because it's very nostalgic for me, even though I wasn't in the 80s. We rode our bikes everywhere, and I had walkie-talkies so that my brother and I could talk when we were, you know, in different parts of the neighborhood and things like that. So all of that for me. But we had those big walkie-talkies, and then we graduated to the ones. I don't know if anybody had them, but they were the black plastic ones with all the orange buttons. And they were, like, orange dials and stuff, and those were cool. I Once we get, like, three or four episodes in, I started date checking stuff because I was so impressed with like how spot on they appeared to be that I just, I wanted to make sure. So like, you know, the dark crystal poster in his room, the thing poster in the basement, like things like that. I just started double checking like, all right, what year did the thing come out? What year did this come out? What year did that come out? And like, they were just, they were nailing it spot on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the Millennium Falcon, uh, actually, I was talking to Steve Glosson, and he definitely caught that it was the 95 version of it. Yeah. But I was getting upset when, I think it was Dustin, when he kept dropping it. I'm like, what are you doing? Stop <laughs> dropping the Falcon. You're going to break it. Um, but my one pop culture moment wasn't actually something that was in the show. It was something that, to me, was a glaring absence. And that was the the bike van chase scene, which was clearly an homage to E.T. Oh, my gosh. That's what I was going to say. And, and E.T. came out in 1982, the year before. There's no way that those four boys didn't see E.T. And one of them should have made some sort of reference to it. One of them should have said something like, can't she make us fly or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> because it's it's something that they totally would have done. They're dropping references to everything else. That they're right in the middle of the scene, right out of a movie that they just saw a year before. That one of them would have made some sort of crack to it. And to mm-hmm. me, 
like I, I'm watching the scene and I'm waiting for that to happen and it didn't happen and I'm just like, wow, like totally missed the boat there. Well, there and was, just there was a ahead, reference sorry. to ma- there was a reference to making them fly. It was the one of the mouth breathers that when he was talking to Hopper, he said, "Well, she can make you fly," and I, for after the scene where she saved Mike. Right, but I'm talking about specifically in that E.T. scene because E.T. made them fly to get away from the government guys. guys. Right, right. Yeah. So, like, just one of them, like, can't she make us fly or something like that? Because she's so clearly E.T. in that moment. (laughs) I believe L11 did say, hey, how come all those FBI guys are holding walkie-talkies instead of guns? (laughs) (laughs) Sarah, now you have to pick another one. Oh, oh well, well I I liked that scene just because of well I didn't think about the glaring absence but okay so I'll pick something that also wasn't technically in the film but was information that came out later when we talked to Nicole who was one of the uh, actresses in the yeah. in the series Glenn Ellen Anderson who plays Nicole yeah she's one of Steve's friends and she mentioned that on set so that the kids didn't get scared of the monster <laughs> that they would call him Sully and say oh he's from Monsters Inc you know uh. he's Sully so I think that was my favorite reference heard after the fact since you guys all chose a lot so of the it's a behind the scenes reference yes it was a behind the scenes <laughs> reference that wow. I really enjoyed well it's definitely a lot of Spielberg in this when you watch it there's the E.T. there's kind of a poltergeist vibe also in certain scenes Uh, the mom Joyce seems almost like uh, close encounters when she gets a little over the top with the lights you know it's like Mm -hmm. the mashed potatoes reminds me of And and the monster comes out in the way sort of Jaws is we don't ever really see Jaws until like the climax and so there's that same type of you know the unfolding of the monster so that that were kind of i thought was very subtle allusions to things stories that we were are familiar for a lot of people over the years just with it but i my favorite scene was the lando scene when they're when they're (laughs) making this whole comparison to to, you know empire strikes back and lando calrissian would you shut up about lando i don't feel good about this and it's great that they didn't over-explain it. It's like, if you got it, you got it. You didn't, you didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and Trisha, since you brought up the lights already, I just want to point out, like, I can never anticipate what's going to happen in a movie or whatever. I'm one of those people that I just don't think that far ahead. So most people can anticipate, oh, well, they're going to do that next. That's not me. But in this particular show, I did for the one of the first times ever. I when she was talking to the ball of lights, you know, and I was like, "Oh, do one for yes and two for no," and I guessed that. And then she started asking him questions that he couldn't answer because they weren't yes or nos. And I was like, "Oh, you need to do something with letters so you can light up the letter, the lights by the letter." And then she started, she did it, and I was like, oh, "I did it!" I was so happy for myself. Have you guys seen? There's a GIF out there of the the wall with the letters. And it, it, as they light up, it reads, drink your Ovaltine. <laughs> you, you can go on that. There's the maker that, that you can actually make whatever you want up to a certain level. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so. That's you have to hilarious. Attention that long to like, put the letters together, though. It's all a commercial. Yeah. One big commercial. Yeah, well, be- and it's funny, that scene, somebody cosplayed as that particular scene at Dragon Con. I saw a picture from, I think it was Riley or Bethany's Instagram, that one person was dressed up as Joyce, and the other person was the wall with the letters, with the light. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That's going the extra mile. <laughs> I've seen a bunch of cosplay- people cosplaying as Barb. I've seen a oh, bunch no. of pictures of Barb showing up or, from, or after. from different yeah. cons uh, before. Okay, oh, the right. after the after Barb was just nasty. Gross. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah. Barb. It's been a lot of love for Barb after the show, during the show. You know, when it first came out, and it seems to be growing. People are even talking about giving her Funko. What do you th- What do you think it is about Barb? Does anybody go out there, and why do they think that she's so popular? Uh, she's she's kind of like the opposite trope of a horror film so 
she's the one who doesn't have sex, and yet she gets snatched by the monster. <laughs> Whereas in every other horror film, you know, you see the the kids have sex, and then oh, someone's gonna die now, you know. So I, I think Barb's the opposite, and she was trying to kind of like the not Pinocchio. What's the character I'm thinking of? Geppetto. Uh, Ge- no, not to Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket. The conscience. Uh, yeah, bigger on, <laughs> on her shoulder, exactly. And uh, and so I think that's that's why people maybe talk about her. Yeah. Whereas the, the Duffer brothers said we really wanted to kill her off because everyone really liked her and they wanted to make sure that no one felt safe. Well, so for me, I feel like she sort of epitomizes a lot of people that feel left out or feel like they're not a part of the crowd because I know I was definitely her in high school with their whole relationship, you know, and her best friend gets a boyfriend and all this stuff and she's just sort of left in the dust but trying to be included kind of thing. But then she just gets forgotten. Everything's about Will and Will disappearing and you hear like nothing about anyone caring about Barb. They set up all this stuff about you know, poor Will, and let's do all this stuff at the school and all this stuff, and no one's talking about Barb. (laughs) Nobody's talking about the fact that she just up and disappeared too. And I feel like a lot of people probably attach to somebody like that because they feel like that was them, that they were invisible, you know, and, like, nobody would care if they disappeared. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny too because Nancy's very motivated by Barb, but she doesn't talk a lot about it. It's more... You know, you see Nancy going through everything, and she's—it's about her guilt over Barb, and but mm-hmm. you don't hear it talked about a lot. But you know, the one thing that was great about the character, and I noticed this in other characters too. I mean, she's what Hollywood doesn't cast. She's just <laughs> average-looking. She had she had zits on her face. We all remember that when we were kids, and even some of the other kids. You know, they didn't try to really clean them up and make them look really polished and smooth skinned. So, but, you know, she really is just that person uh, that, you know, we all can identify with being that awkward stage where you like, you, you want to stay with your friends, your friends are changing, you feel like you're being left behind. And not only do you get left behind, you get eaten by the monster, apparently. So. <laughs> well, well in, the sto- in the story, it was set up that Will was taken without a trace, but Barb... Brenner and his crew had set it up that her car was set up, was placed at the bus station, right. so it made it look like she just ran away. So she did have some kind of a, of closure, even though Nancy didn't believe it. Right. So that's why everyone focused on Will because he was yeah. he was he was here one day and gone the next, whereas Barb took, the- got in a bus and took off to Los Angeles to, to become an actress or a director. <laughs> I think another reason why Barb has been such a touchstone character is that all of us, we knew Barb, you know, I think that I think for many of us, like we can look back to, to high school or whatever. And we knew that person that was Barb, or in some cases we might've been part of Barb ourselves. You know, she, she was very identifiable to us. So that 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 was my that was my take on her. That's why I think she's become such a a character that people talk about. If you if you notice the two people that are taken by the demogorgon, if that's what we're going to call the monster, that's what the boys call it. That Barb and Will are both people that tell the truth. Barb sees the truth in Nancy all the way through until she's um, taken. Now she's taken. She actually is bleeding, and we know the monster seeks blood. But Will also tells the truth and he admits that he didn't he rolled a seven and then we don't see him again so there's an interesting dynamic on on who those characters are and why they how they disappear in the story but the very both of them it's very clear that they're the truth tellers of and everybody else is in some shade of lying in the or deceiving during the story so all the all the kids out there, uh, there's a lesson: never tell the truth, or you will be snatched by the demogorgon. Is that, is that what we're going for? Exactly. That, that's okay. what it sounds like. So, wow. Other than Barb, do people have like a favorite character? Teresa, do you have a favorite? I actually really like Lucas a lot because I feel like that would be me. I'd be the one that'd be like, "We have to go to the adults, like adults now." 
you know, but then I'd also be the one that was like, screw you guys, I'm going out by myself and put the bandana on my head and like take off. Like, I just feel like that would be me. <laughs> but I I did worry for his safety because I was like, typical horror film, he's the only black character. That, that's not good. <laughs> I identified with Nancy a lot. Just, it was, I, I just, I love those coming of age stories and her whole, her whole journey through this series really captured my attention. The fact that she was just this scared little girl at the beginning wanting to be popular. And she grew into someone who, you know, had to face life and death and also through losing her virginity too, which is really interesting moment. And, and, you know, the aftermath of that. So I, I really liked her. I'm going to go with Joyce. Winona Ryder. She never gave up on looking for her son, even though everyone else told her to move on. Even her older son said, "He's he's gone. Let's, we got to move on." People are thinking you're you're nuts. You're you're talking to Christmas lights. You're quitting your job. You're buying a phone a day. You you've got to move on. But still, she had that laser focus. Nothing, nothing was ever going to deter her from finding her son. And I just felt myself just rooting for her every step of the way. And and when she couldn't pay for those those phones and Christmas lights, I I sent her in a in a GoFundMe campaign. <laughs> Everyone must go help Joyce. Send her Christmas lights. Do something. But this mom's got to find her son, and I just really love that. That's a reminder too. It's not like the credit card age back then. You know, you most people had to ask for credit and make individual uh. bargains for it. So that was, you know, different. We we don't realize how different it was even back then, 1983. You couldn't just whip out a credit card and say, well, I'll put the phone on it, you know, this way. Erish, what well, about not you? only that, but like no ATMs either. Like yeah. if you want to cash, you, you you cashed a check at the grocery store or had to go to the bank. Yeah, or if it's, if it's 5.01 in the afternoon, you, you ain't going to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. um, for me, it's definitely Hopper. Uh, I just from that opening line, mornings are for coffee and contemplation, like just all the way through to the end. I just I love that character. Um, and I loved I love the backstory about his daughter, like as as each episode unfolded, that became more relevant to what was happening and to driving his motivation. And yeah, I just I, what a fantastic character. I can't wait to see what's going to happen with him. Yeah, and you know, it was I didn't until I watched it the second time. I didn't all those little clues weren't as obvious that you know his, the story with his daughter is more relevant at the end. But they do leave little hints all the way through, and and so mm. it's, I definitely if you watched it once, go back and watch it again because you'll see a lot more things knowing uh, what's coming. So definitely, my favorite is Dustin. The, the toothless, is that toothless toothless wonder yes <laughs> I, I don't know he just had a way with words and from the moment he went and tried to give the pizza to Nancy and you know all the little things he said he was always like the uh, the charming one and when he called the their teacher at 10 o'clock at night and he's like yeah hey <laughs> we need well, to know how to do a sensory deprivation tank and don't you encourage us to learn whatever yeah. we can you know he's just like totally selling it and he was always and he was always trying to mend the friendship too of between mm. the boys he was always trying to hold it together he wasn't he was the, the peacemaker brave. yes he w he didn't want to go into the woods when they went out and looked for will but he went anyway but you know he was kind of like the doomsayer as well like you know this is not gonna go well i love the part where he's explaining that the best friend level where he's like look mm. i get it you guys live next door to each other and i didn't show up here until fourth grade you know, he's your best friend. I came in late. Like, I understand that. And to me, that was very relevant because, like, I moved, we moved around a lot as a kid. So, like, I never had that kid that I lived next door to my whole life. So, like, in, in the best friendship level, there, you know, most of the time I was like the second or third one in the group because I was came in later to the friendship. So I totally got that when he was explaining that away. I love that. You know, it's interesting that none of us said 11 was our favorite character. I, I, <laughs> it's true. Maybe it's because we're a little afraid of her. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's not as relatable because right. none of us have telekinesis. 
<laughs> At least yeah. that we know of. <laughs> <laughs> or that anybody knows about. No, I, yeah, that was one of the things I was waiting to see. If it, but then there were a lot of cosplayers of Eleven this past mm-hmm. week at the, all the cons that were there. She has a, wow. a interesting story. And then you know, she's, when we first see her, she's confused for a boy, for the shaved hair. Then she, you know, looks at the picture of Nancy and, notes that she's pretty then she gets the wig and the dress becomes more like a girl so there's this whole interesting undercurrent just with her how she comes across um but from the moment she tells when they want to go get the parents the the boys and they're you know we're going to do this and she says no and shuts the door i'm like okay she scares me a little bit (laughs) (laughs) then the more we see about her the more becomes apparent that she is in some way tied to the monster and Will's disappearance. Well, the reason why I didn't mention Eleven was because she was playing with an incorrect Millennium Falcon. And that, <laughs> that, can, that cannot be forgiven. No, she had the ability to make the Falcon fly and didn't appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But when you're talking about actors, there's no getting around that Millie Bobby Brown is the standout of oh, the yes, series. Yes, I was Fan. just going to say that too. Fantastic. Just, her, ex- I would love to see some behind-the-scenes footage of, of is that the director directing her? I know they she was chosen because she had these reactions unlike any actress they'd ever seen. And she wasn't really an actress, mm. but she could just react. And she had such intuition that, wow, we need her right away. And she had done a couple of things beforehand, but she just fit this role perfectly. And we were mesmerized for her first very adult scenes that she had to play and she nailed it well and she says very little in the show she has very little dialogue so she has to convey everything through her facial reactions and the duffer brothers said that she would ask to do takes over again and they at the point that they she was asking to do them over again they were already blown away and then she would raise it to another level so wow uh, yeah you know when you see her people saying like we were really happy with what we got and then she would go somewhere else and she had to do i mean it's a lot of tough stuff i mean this is you know, a story about abuse and a, a relationship with a, a father figure that is abusive and a lot of, we you know, grim things happen to her and she has to carry that all just in, not even in acting, but then she could connect with people. I can't remember the name of the character that she, who feeds her, that ends up getting shot. Ben, uh, oh, the, the diner owner? Ben. Yeah. 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 I mean, she, Benny. Yeah, she, you know, she connected with him and you could see it almost how she was, you know, she'd be very distrustful, but then she wanted, like the character wanted to, to form connections, but it was very difficult uh, for her to do so. So you could see how that worked out. Yeah. And that would be pretty accurate. I saw her on the Jimmy Fallon show and cause he had all the kids on except for Will, which I thought was interesting, but <laughs> this kid could never catch a break. Yeah, I know. Right. And She's incredibly eloquent in the way that she talks, and she's from Spain, I believe. She's and British. So, yeah, she's British. Okay, I don't know. I thought I, I thought I'd read something that she was from Spain, um, but she is so like she's so fun to listen to. And actually, if you listen to that interview, they talk about the scene where she and Mike kiss, and her reaction to the fact that this was her first kiss ever is hilarious. It's so <laughs> funny, but. I do really like her a lot. I like the character of Eleven, but I think, Trisha, you're right. I think we're a little bit afraid of her and, like, what she stands for, you know? So she's kind of hard to just really warm up to right away. After we had binge-watched episodes one and two, I was kind of convinced she was not a little girl. Her acting was just so far superior from what we're used to that I ran to IMDb just to fact check her age <laughs> and i thought you know what maybe she's just one of those really really young 17 or 18 year olds mm. maybe but uh, i was surprisingly wrong that's one of my favorite scenes at the end of the second episode when she flips the the board over to show the mm. upside down world and she puts the demogorgon figurine and then she puts uh-huh. the wizard on to signify will and mm-hmm. that like just to kind of explain it and the look on her face it's like, like he's in a bad place and you're like oh yeah yeah this is getting really scary now so 
Yeah, I, I believe after that episode, Richard had to tuck me in that night. Oh. <laughs> I didn't want to go to bed by myself. You know, it was, it was sad because Will, you know, he said he tried to defend his friends in this game of Dungeons and Dragons at the very beginning. And then he the movie made didn't work out for him. And that's part of Dungeons and Dragons is it teaches you risks and rewards. And so he had here he is the wizard character and maybe that's one of the reasons he was able to survive in the upside down world that he was different or smarter you know he found a way to communicate um but if you look as the story unfolded about will and you learn more about him he really was even more of an outsider than in in just everything you know he was referred to what his what his dad dad called him like queer um Mm -hmm. some of the people called him a fag they said he wasn't normal his dad had tried to make him um play sports and he didn't enjoy that and the brother in a flashback scene had tried to tell him you can do what you want to do um he was his you know joyce talks about how he's different he's special he's smart so you see this and he's good at hiding that's what she said yeah so you see this poor kid who's just in this extreme situation but he does end up finding a way to survive which i think is an interesting way to you know tell kids that even if you're in the worst situation that you can find a way to to get out of situations because he's he doesn't stop struggling at all during that and so i thought that was a kind of a nice way to kind of step beyond some probably the stereotyping of characters things that happen to them even nancy is she is the opposite of the manic pixie dream girl trope so she actually gets the boy to come around to her way of thinking at the end which usually doesn't Mm. happen but i thought that was interesting you mean like Greece? Well, the... <laughs> yeah. That... <laughs> the opposite that of was... Greece. <laughs> that was a great breaking of stereotype too with Steve at the end. Yes. You know, the all along he's kind of the, the a-hole boyfriend. And then at the end he becomes like the nice guy. He He shows up not to apologize to Nancy, but to apologize to the other guy. The Jonathan. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I just, you totally, I totally didn't see that coming. And then, you know, and then when they're fighting the Demogorgon, he comes back, rescues them, and then he's the one taking the lead in front of them. Like, they're standing behind him as he's holding the bat, ready to take this thing on. And it just completely changed the way I thought of that character. It was one of the things I loved the most about the show. And then even, like, the... the, the, the very ending scene where, you know, she, he gave her the camera to give to him and stuff mm-hmm. because, you know, the whole, most other shows would have paired the, the brother and the sister up at the end, you know, and this show didn't go there. And I loved that They didn't do that. Did right. A lot of different things. So uh, Richard, what do you think the upside down world is? Well, I wish I knew that was the million dollar question. <laughs> I, I, wow. That's, that's, I don't think any. I don't think even the Duffer brothers know what the upside down world is, <laughs> uh. but I love the fact that Will brought it back with him. Oh, right. When, when he coughed yeah. up that little slug bug in the end, uh, and he didn't tell he, anyone he about pounds it. Pounds his hands on the sink, and for a flash of a couple of frames, we see the upside down world. And I think Will, in the end, he's not so much Will anymore. Uh. I think that you know, and the Duffer brothers said with the. With the second seasons, it's not really a second season. It's more of a sequel than a second season, which I love the fact that they're thinking of it in movie terms because mm. now it's it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh. Yeah, they said that their the, their second season is going to be inspired by sequels of like the mid to late '80s and early '90s, Ooh. specifically uh, that's, that's Terminator Two, Terminator Two, and Aliens. And some of the stuff that Spielberg was doing. Those are Cameron and Spielberg were the two directors that they specifically cited as references for the second season. I kind of wish they had gone with more of a Lucas and Coppola where each each sequel does build onto itself. And unlike the 80s and 90s sequels where it was just a rehash of the first one, I'm looking at you, Home Alone. No, but if you look but if you look at if you look at Aliens and Terminator 2 and those were two of the movies that they specifically cited. Right. They built upon what was cre- what was started in the first one and took it to another level. 
Right. You know, Aliens that. is not the same movie that Alien is, and Terminator Two is not the same movie that Terminator One was. So right. it wasn't just a rehash of the same story. They took it and they turned it into something new, and that's that's part of the inspiration that they said that they're uh, that they're taking from those movies. That's all well and good, but I want Return of the Jedi references now, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, this next one, this next season, will take place in the fall of '84, so we'll yeah. get a lot of Ghostbusters that's references. One year later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Teresa, what was, for you, the scariest moment? What was the moment that the pillow was up in front of the face? It it was probably in the first or second episode, just because, you know, the music and stuff, and they just kind of made it freaky. I don't know if there was any one specific thing. I will say, though, that there was a scene that I was totally enthralled by. It should have been creepy to me, but it wasn't. It's when Hopper goes to cut open the non-Will's body. And I was like, I was like, just do it. Just just do it. (laughs) And it's, you know, that shouldn't be like that. But I've, you know, I've. I've worked with cadaver bodies before, so it's like a whole new side of Teresa now. Yeah, well, y'all, I mean, you guys don't get to talk to me about my, about my medical stuff very much, but you know, I've worked with cadaver bodies and things like that. So I actually get really interested by those kind of scenes, like on NCIS and other shows. So I was like, you know, what did they do to the body that made it different? So I was like, cut him open, and then when it was filled with cotton, I was like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Greg, if yeah. you're there. Please come on in. Teresa needs some help. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just throw it out there. What do people think happened to Eleven at the end? She's sitting in the woods eating her egos. She merged with the Demigorgon. I don't know. Well, something must be going on because Hopper's putting food in like a box. And egos. No less. Yes, one of her favorites. Hmm. I know. Well, that that right there kind of telegraphs that she's still around in some well, form. I I've had my personal opinion. I was seeing if anybody else was going to come out and has an opinion because I went out on the internet and found out there are a lot of other people that are writing articles about this. So nobody hmm. there there are people. A lot of people speculating that Eleven is the monster that she is. The Demogorgon is a two headed monster, and oh. that if if you watch how. She, the scenes unfold that she actually created the monster when she went inside the um, the, the the deprivation tank when Papa oh, put her in oh. there, and that she actually is the monster. And when you look at the very end, and she says something like "No more," the monster raises its hand in the same way that Eleven does. And so mm-hmm. it's like the you know it's the ultimate because they they talk about it. Even the deputies are like, "Oh, you know, nothing happens in this town." And then Hopper makes a point of saying the last suicide in this town was in like twenty six, and the last missing kid was in sixty one, and now two things happen in the same day and you know something's going on and it's all tied to her but that's kind of as soon as the as soon as that last episode was airing I kept going back and replaying other things and I'm like I think she's the monster I think she's the monster and it that's why I think it's really exciting if you go back and look at it again that's one of the reasons I started the second watch but that's my working theory yeah no I actually I agree with you actually 100% agree with you I think that she's the other half of it and I think that she she may have created him as a way to combat what was happening to her almost like a split personality kind of thing and she sort of created the upside down or the veil of shadows and that's sort of her way of coping because she has so much power through her telekinesis and everything that that's what she created as a coping mechanism wow goodness well and as the a little girl she's killing people yeah like, yes that kind of freaked me out a little bit like when when she's at first those two guys are trying to put her in her cell and she you know throws snaps one against the wall and snaps the other guy's neck exactly it's like whoa she just did that and she's supposed to be 10 like and then she doesn't seem to have any remorse about it yeah, she at makes all the other little the bully boy pee himself you yeah know, she has she has a dark side to her yes um there is certainly the one thing Very protective I- <laughs> side yes there's a cost to anything she uses her powers which i appreciated mm. 
in that, that you couldn't just do something and keep leveling up. And there, there was always a physical toll on the character when she did do something. So, Well, and if, if for season two, if we look at what they said about looking at Terminator 2 as inspiration, what was the big twist in T2? It, it was that... The guy became the good guy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so here's the twist here is the good girl becomes the bad girl. Like that could be really interesting. Mm. Yeah. But then how was Will? I, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen that theory before, so um I think it I think it's I, I really like the idea of that. Well Will could be literally he could still be the wizard. Yes. You know, he sure. could I mean now Will is the good guy who's leading the fight against the Demogorgon. But what's up with that thing he coughed up, though? Like, could he be the third head of the Demogorgon or something? No, you know what I actually think that is? It's kind of similar to, and Sarah, you'll be able to understand this, the connection between Harry and Voldemort with him being a Horcrux, it's almost kind of the same kind of thing, where now he's permanently Mm. kind of connected to the Demogorgon because he lived in that world. So he's, yeah, he's marked kind of like Harry was. Well, he well, did. Look, the, the, the whole shoved down his throat too. Yeah, the whole thing with Will was so clearly an aliens reference. Right. Yeah. You know, getting cocooned in there and the thing, and then even when when Hopper was walking through the upside down, he stops and you know looks at that egg, which yes. is a reference to aliens. Um, you know, so it, it, it's and even when when she is in the deprivation tank and she finds Barb's body. Um, that disgusting, like, rotting mass. Like, one of those slugs came out of Barb's mouth. Mm. Um, so it's it's possible that that's how, like, the Demogorgon, or maybe there's another monster in the Upside Down that, you know, that's how, you know, they're planting eggs or whatever in them. Mm. And then that one, the fact that the, uh, Winona Ryder was in Aliens 3. Yeah. Or maybe they'll, <laughs> we'll try to forget all about that sequel. Alien only had one sequel. That was four. Alien Resurrection. Oh, all right, I'll take your word for it. After two, they just started rolling into each other. Alien versus Alf. Alien versus Predator. Alien versus Potsy. Oh my gosh! All right. Well, we're gonna get close to wrapping this up, but I think we're gonna definitely be talking about season two when it comes around. So, I. Uh, I have a feeling that it's going to be fun and we're getting a lot of references. So does anybody, let's go around and have last thoughts from everybody. Sarah? Oh, last thoughts. Okay. Let's see. Well, I'm just excited to see season two and this actually, this discussion here has really opened up my mind and the whole fact that, that 11 could be the monster that, has really like now I'm go I want to go back and watch the whole thing again <laughs> and just see and then what does what does eleven mean and why is she named eleven? Well, I think she I, was the eleventh attempt. Yeah, or the eleventh child. Yeah, I, I don't think yeah. she's necessarily named eleven. I think she's tagged, branded number okay. eleven. Interesting. Okay, so those are my final thoughts. There, I want to go watch it again. All right, Richard. My favorite part about this was the whole filmmaking aspect. The fact that they really went back and did their homework. And I think these guys were brought up in these movies where in the 70s and 80s, the, the, with the horror movies, it's not what you see, it's what you don't see. Mm. So you saw a lot of shadows moving past the camera. You saw a lot of rees, uh, trees rustling. So you never knew what was out there. And then you got the John Carpenter music. You had the whole font style of Stranger Things. You had everything that just really fit inside of of the time period that this series reflects. And I hope to see more of that, and I'm sure we will. I actually want to piggyback off of what Richard just said because I really did enjoy a lot of that too. And, okay, hang on. Y'all go to Arish. <laughs> Someone agrees with you and me. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's just the whole – so many so many things try to capture nostalgia and just wind up turning it into a cliche yeah. and, and to like a cheesy mess. And this did – this this captured the nostalgia because it just it, – it honestly captured like what 
kind of what we grew up with, what we were doing back then. I, I, I think my big takeaway from this was this is the best thing I've seen this year. This is better than any TV show I've seen this year. This is better than any movie I've seen this year. And then what wound up being a really ho-hum, lackluster summer at, at the box office, just a lot of retread garbage that we've seen over and over and over again. Here was something that while it had this major nostalgia thing going for it and like paid homage to so much stuff, it also felt kind of unique and original at the same time. And I really applaud Netflix for, let's be honest, who had heard of the Duffer brothers before this, (laughs) you know, and, and you've got no big name star in this. You've got Matthew Modine and, Winona Ryder, who, yeah, they're both names, but, like, you don't bank, you don't build a series on them. Like, to really take a chance with this, and I just, I love that they're just rolling the dice and taking chances, and I wish more TV networks, more movie studios and stuff would do the same thing, because it's clearly paid off in this case. Teresa, are you back? Yeah, I'm back. So... Okay, so Eris kind of said more stuff of what I was going to say. So all of that, but in you shouldn't conjunction... shouldn't have run away. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. well, I can't help it. Sometimes the cats decide that they want to fight each other. Um, oh, those were this... cats? I thought those were kids. <laughs> no, you, ha- you have to podcast a lot with us. You'll know the cats. <laughs> yeah. So what I really like is it solidifies for me why I pay for Netflix. Because I already watch Netflix for, I love Orange is the New Black, my husband loves Narcos and House of Cards, and there's just all of these shows that they're bringing to the table that you wouldn't see anywhere else, and I love it. Like, I love how Netflix has transformed, because you all know several years ago, I was we were all on the verge of canceling our Netflix subscriptions, <laughs> Because they just didn't have anything on there. And now it's all this original content that I really, really love. But I, I, again, I mentioned I don't like horror and I get scared really easy. But I was able to watch this even though I was scared and still be really interested in what was going on. Whereas like The Walking Dead, I still watch it. But I'm not necessarily interested or invested in any of the characters. I just watch it because it's something that my husband and I watch now. Well, they don't talk about Lando on it. Well, no. (laughs) They don't. True. But it's just like I prefer this kind of like Richard said with the trees rustling and things that you don't see as opposed to like the here's a zombie cut in half. You know. Even the I'm with you there. Even the implied sex scene just had the music. You can tell a story with nostalgia. A lot of people try to do that. A lot of people are trying to remake movies, uh, bring them back, bring back old TV shows. But this one is different because every character has an arc they have agency and they're going someplace and they don't just buy into tropes. They thought about all these characters and move them somewhere. And I love that kind of subtle uh, work of weaving things in, leaving hints and letting us figure it out. And and the, they're good about, they're doing interviews and they're like, we're not going to tell you what things are. We're going to let you think about them. And sometimes we get too into having people tell us what things are. Uh, these days so I'm enjoying that that they're just like okay you can think about it and we're, we know our rules but you can figure it out so all right. well, the last 20 minutes where where uh, Hopper gets into the black car what's up with that he leaves the egos out yeah. in a yeah. box what's up with that yeah. Will coughs up a slug bug what's, what's up, up with, with that? that there's so many what's up with that <laughs> that yes. the audience fill in those blanks Ooh, and see if it pays Season two. What's up with that? Oh, What's up with that? Is that um, Rob Dellinger? That's Saturday Night Live, um, right? Saturday Night Live? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we we, we, we got to have just like an honorable mention to Mike and Nancy's dad. Like, just one of the most clueless people. What did I do? <laughs> 
I hope you're enjoying that chicken. (laughs) (laughs) And and also a little bit to their mom, who is just like, I'm sorry, one of the most clueless mothers on TV. Like, her her son has got a girl living in the basement for days. Her her daughter is like yep. sleeping around with her boyfriend, and she's just like, "You can talk to me. <laughs> just want you to know you can talk to me." It's like, woman, you have no idea what's going on in your house. <laughs> Does like he ever go out down to the basement? Yeah, mom, are we expecting any workmen to show up at our house today? <laughs> Mike, we need to leave right now. <laughs> what is going on? Uh, tell them I'm out of the country. Yeah. What? She <laughs> just stands there. Poor mom. Well, even Steve, when he said he was like a ninja, he was like scrambling on, k- kicking the side of the house and nobody noticed. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Like, just like climbing up into the room left and right. She's already got a boy in the room and another one is climbing up onto the roof to look in the window. <laughs> well, Nancy gets around. Wow. And just like with those 80s movies, it's always the kids who are the smarter characters, and the parents yeah. are always, and the teachers are always mm. clueless. It's true. All right, so let's go around and everyone give a shout out to where people can find you. So we'll go with Sarah and Richard. All right, well, we are from Skywalking Through Neverland, the Star Wars Disney podcast, where we also sometimes talk Stranger Things, because on episode 133, we had one of the actresses from the show, Glenn Ellen Anderson, and she plays Nicole, who is one of Steve's friends. She's the redheaded one. She's the busybody. I hate Nicole. He's the busy word. Not busybody. I just meant something that rhymes with wit. Exactly, (laughs) Teresa. She's a horrible, vile, evil person. Well, you know what? Maybe she's really the monster. If you want a lot of behind-the-scenes fun stories, listen to that episode where we talked to her. and She was was so just willing to give out everything and anything that she could about Stranger Things. Really fun. Yeah, it was a really awesome episode. So episode 133 of Skywalking Through Neverland. 132, 133. It's 133 according to our notes right here. 133? Yes. Okay. There you go. So everything that Sarah just said. All right, Teresa. Well, you guys know me from Fangirls Going Road with all these other fine people, but I do want to plug something that is coming, which will be the return of Disney Vault Talk's Rebel Yell coming up towards the end of this month once Rebel Season 3 premieres, and we're working on getting the council together for that. Thrawn! Um, Thrawn! (laughs) It's going to be really exciting, so... DVT Rebel Yell is coming, and also on Disney Vault Talk currently, we are hitting the infamous age of movies known as sort of like the Dark Ages mm-hmm. of Chicken Little and Home on the Range. So if you've never really seen those, now's a good time to watch them. Erish. You can find me on Twitter at Darth underscore Duff, and you can hear me usually once a month on uh, Geek Out Loud. And you can now hear me once a week on Mile High Tundra, which is a football podcast, uh, Denver Bronco and Green Bay Packers fanboys talking about their teams with a very biased take (laughs) on the rest of the league. Um, And generally, you can find those live on iTunes on Thursday, and that's part of the Goliverse podcasting network. I like that you have your own show now. Awesome. Woohoo. Everybody has the bug. Go Broncos! <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me at Fangirl Cantina, and you can find this episode on Fangirl Blog and also fangirlsgoingrogue.com. And we will hopefully get some more Fangirl chats up here. Teresa and I have been inspired now to do a few more. We are. We are. We're, we're working on some upcoming shows, um, Ghostbusters and Star Trek. All right. Uh, those are coming. Cool. Yay! Everything with Chris Pine. Wonder Woman? Yes. She'll be here eventually. <laughs> you know what? Speaking of that, speaking of that, you know what we need to do? We need to do a Princess Diaries 2. <gasps> okay. Because he's in it. So I'm in. That's one of my go-to movies when I have an afternoon alone. Alrighty. Oh, sorry, Richard. <laughs> oh, I already know this. I already know this. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll have to leave this this episode out with agony no i'm gonna find some cool music Uh, (laughs) there will be a soundtrack to stranger things i'm looking forward to that and we want to thank everybody for joining us and having a very strange time on this episode of fangirl chat 
Chat with Teresa Delgado and Trisha Barr. listening to another exciting episode of fangirl chat if you want to find us on the interwebs all you have to do is go to twitter and instagram and you can find me Teresa, at ice cold penguin on both if you want to find trisha she's at fangirl cantina on both as well so we hope to hear from you guys send us an email to fangirlsgoingrogue at gmail.com if you want to talk to us about our fangirl chat shows and we will be more than glad to read your emails on the air if you want to see us on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash fangirlsgoingrogue, and you can find not only that fangirl chat stuff, but all of our Star Wars fangirl stuff as well. For Trisha, fangirlblog.com, and for me, fangirlnextdoor.com. Go and visit our sites and join in on the conversation. So thanks, guys, again for listening, and geek on!